Worry or not to worry. That's what we're going to talk about. Not to worry, Bridge Kids. You can go now. In his book entitled Anxiety Free, Robert Leahy writes, We live in an age of anxiety. We have become a nation of nervous wrecks. I don't know if you believe that or not, but that was his opinion. He says, The average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. The world is changing. Our culture is changing. Life is changing. Although we have more material comfort and security than we did back then, we have other issues that bring anxiety into our world, like separation from extended family. Families used to hang out in the same little community, And now there's a whole lot of separation with geographical uh, distance. A loss of community and neighborhood. We desperately see community today. We look for it online. Uh, The whole area of the job situation and uncertain employment, uncertain futures, uh, threats of terrorism, high medical costs. And boy, isn't the the whole health thing complicated? Uh, Whether you have to go to uh, the doctor or have surgery or apply for health insurance or wait for health insurance or figure out what's going to happen if health insurance doesn't cover it. Uh, This whole technology thing we have today, we are immersed in technology and social media, our smartphones. It's all right there. What do people think of you? Lack of emotional support contributes to anxiety. These are just some of contributing factors today. In 2015, there was a survey entitled Stress in America, and that was a survey that goes on every year since 2007. And uh, they said that stress about money and finances is prevalent nationwide today. 72% of Americans feel stressed about money, at least some of the time. And you can say, well, we all do some of the time. 22% say they experience extreme stress, which is distress um, about money. 26% said they feel stress about money all of the time. 32% said that finances keep them from living a healthy lifestyle. Even though believers in the first century did not have the same issues, They didn't have smartphones or social media. They they weren't able to live stream news uh, 24-7. You know, having having information all the time gives us things to worry about. Um, They didn't have crowded airports and delays in transportation. They didn't have state-of-the-art medical care or complicated health insurance. Believers of the first century were still prone to worry. Their lives were much simpler in many ways and much harder in many ways. Food was prepared from scratch every day. No refrigerators. Most people in Jesus' audience 
we're in the lower uh, spectrum of uh, income. And uh, they either were farmers or they worked for somebody who had a farm. And most people were the workers. And they had to work six days a week. And it was kind of sun up to sundown, kind of a work day. And um, they typically got paid one day at a time. You worked all day, you got your wages, and you went home. And you had enough money to buy food for the day, for tomorrow. And that's how they lived day to day. What Jesus said 2,000 years ago about worry is still true today. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 12. I want you to turn there uh, with me. You have an outline in your program. You can follow along. And if you use the uh, Bible, if you picked up a Bible on the way in, it's on page 727. Otherwise, it's in your smartphone. If it's really smart, you have the Bible in it. Okay? Luke chapter 12. I'm going to begin at verse 22. And um, here's what we see. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or about your body or your uh, body image or what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn like the rich fool in the previous part of the chapter who built bigger barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So uh, the first thing, if you follow in your outline, verses 22 through 26, God wants to relieve us of worry. This is good news. In fact, this is good news because of the gospel. This is the life that Jesus offers his people. Life in his kingdom. God wants to relieve us. First thing, verses 22 and 23, worry has the wrong focus. Worry has the wrong focus. Now, let me just say at the outset, I do not have the gift of mercy, so I have to apologize right off the bat. I'm stronger in theology than I am in empathy, okay? I know that doesn't help some people. I know it, okay? I do care. Um, anxiety is a normal, God-given emotion. By an or anxious feelings, let me say it that way. Anxious feelings. I would say anxiety is when you're stuck with the anxious feelings. Anxious feelings is, are normal. It's like a warning signal to the brain. Wake up. There's something out of sorts here that needs attention. Okay? That's what anxious feelings do, and they can be very good. Um, they can make us sharper, more alert, more effective. It's all possible. The problem is worry becomes focusing on this situation uh, and we 
worry is to torment oneself or suffer from disturbing thoughts. You know, think about that, tormenting oneself. That's what worry does. And it's the idea of just keep replaying over and over this scenario that's going to devastate us or hurt us. And, um, okay, we get that anxiety happens every day. What will we do then? Worry has the wrong focus. Um, Verse 22, Jesus said, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Jesus, you don't know about my life. If, If you knew about my life, you'd understand. And Jesus would say, you don't know my heavenly father. I want you to know him better. Jesus said, uh, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. They're all important. God knows they're important. He wants, Jesus wants us to stop focusing on what's going to happen. Stop focusing on if it's food. And we can get addictions about food. Um, Stop focusing on your body. Maybe don't look in the mirror so much. Or stop fixating on your appearance. God cares about your body. He made it. He knows how it works. He's all for you. Stop focusing on the clothes you wear. Clothes are good. God likes us to have a little covering. And he's okay if you want to be picky about what you wear. But don't make that what your life is about. Life is more than food, verse 23. And the body more than clothes. Taking care of your body is important. Eating food is important. Wearing clothes is a good thing. But there is something more important, and that's what Jesus wants us to see. That's the exact thing um, that he wanted the rich man to see earlier in the chapter, Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Remember, we talked about greed last week, and greed is wanting more and more of what we have enough of already. Watch out, he said. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life is not about how much we have accumulated, what we have attained. It's not about our identity. It's not about the bottom line. It's not about our retirement plan. It's not about our educational level. Don't worry, Jesus said, because you are more important. For life is more than food or body or clothes. What is life about anyway? Here's the answer. It's really simple. Be patient here. Life is about God. God is the author and creator of all life. He's the one who made this universe He created you and me in the image of God. There's something about us that's like God. Not everything, some things. God designed this universe, and he designed you, and he designed humanity 
created in his image. It's, uh, life is about his priorities and his values. It's not just about the here and now. He does care about the here and now. But life is about his values. It's about eternity. And one of the things that Jesus really wants his followers to get here is to have an eternal perspective. Because what you have in front of you is not all that there is. And the danger for you and for me is to sit here and focus on our problems. There is more to it than that. Life is about our relationship with God. God, our creator. He created us in his image. And then we ended up with this problem called sin. And the Bible explains that pretty clearly and traces it all through history and the devastation that that seems to have on people. And then God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who would die on the cross and he would pay the penalty for our sins. And he became our substitute. And uh, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, um, God forgives our sin. He gives us eternal life. And the Father makes us his child. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to indwell, to empower, to enable us, to guide our steps. And he resources us with this new life. And this image of God in us that he created us with that got marred through sin, he begins to recreate and to restore and to rebuild. And he conforms us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a child of God, and you have a father who cares about you deeply. That's what Jesus wants us to see. Worry has the wrong focus. Worry is about me and me and me and my situation. Worry leaves God out of the equation. Verse 24, worry does not provide for our basic needs. Look at verse 24. Jesus said, consider the ravens. Um, he's talking, he used birds before, he's used sparrows, but he, he kind of uses ravens here as a generic term. There's all kinds of birds that fit into this category. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Now, ravens, he picks um, not because they were, you, know, you may think of a raven as maybe they're beautiful, uh, maybe not, I don't know, but ravens were, were really low valued in the first century. For the Jewish culture, they were unclean. They were not to be eaten. And so it's like, you know, they were scavengers. And um, the point is, God created them. He had a plan for them. He designed them. And he provides for them. They don't, they don't have to sow or reap. They don't have barns like the rich fool. Um, but God takes care of them, and they, he has designed creation to provide food, so they go out and search for food, and they survive. God cares about the ravens. He does. He created them. But he cares about you so much more. Um, worry 
let's go on into verses 25 and 26. Worry does not provide beneficial results. It does not benefit us. Yes, anxious feelings can stir us to action and help us and cause us to be alert and, you know, to look around. Is there anything that I've missed? That's, anxious feelings can be a good thing. Stress is a, can be a good thing. And too much stress creates distress, which is hurtful and wears people out. Verse 25, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? You can't add, no matter what you do, you can't add one more hour to your life. One more day, you can't, you can't fix it by worrying. You can't fix anything by worrying. And Jesus said, why do you worry about the other stuff if you can't even add an hour to your life? Um, you can worry and worry and worry, but you cannot change the outcome. You can worry about your health, but you cannot live one day longer because you worry. Researchers um, have proven that worry causes some illnesses. The Garvin Institute in Sydney, Australia, confirmed the hormone called neuropeptide Y, just in case you didn't know, you can write that one down, neuropeptide Y, when it, it releases into the body during times of emotional stress. And here's what it does. This ho hormone undermines the, the body's immune system and liter literally promotes illness. The researcher Fabian uh, McKay writes, during periods of stress, nerves release neuropeptide Y, and it gets into the bloodstream where it uh, inhibits cells in the immune system that look out and destroy pathogens in the body. So the immune system is on the alert, trying to solve problems, and this hormone from worry comes in and shuts it down, which leads easily, more easily, to illness. She further writes, this stress makes you sick. That, that stress makes you sick is no, no longer a myth it is a reality, and we need to take it seriously. Worry does not provide beneficial results. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. You got trouble today? You're going to have trouble tomorrow. Just take one day at a time. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, you may notice that this passage in Luke chapter 12 is very similar to the Matthew 6 passage. Matthew 6, 19 through 33, 19 through 34. And they are very similar. They talk about the same things. But it's not the same situation or at the same time. And Jesus, just like any Good teacher wouldn't teach important messages over and over and over again to different groups. Sometimes we make the mistake and think that, well, if Jesus said it this way, it must be a, an error over here because it got, it's at the wrong place and it got said differently, so it must be wrong. There must be an error in the Bible. Not necessarily at all, because Jesus would say things and tell the same story in a different location or, or have a different purpose with the same idea. Um, so God wants to relieve us from worry. 
question is, do you believe that? Do you just believe, or do you think that this is just pie in the sky and, well, you don't, Jerry, you don't really understand what my life is like? It's true, I don't. Uh, secondly, God wants to replace our worry with trust. Verses 27 uh, through 31. First of all, Jesus wants us to know that God provides for his creation. We, we already saw that with the, with the ravens. God provides for his creation. Verse 27, consider how the wild flowers grow. Consider how the lilies of the field grow. And that's just a word that describes a broad range of flowers. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Again, he goes to creation. Flowers. God designed the flowers. He had a plan for them. He had a purpose for them. And their job was just to be flowers. You know, God provided the sunshine. He provided the rain. He provided the nutrients in the soil. And the flowers were just to grow and be beautiful. And then they would fade. Then they would die. Um, they don't labor. They don't, they don't work like we do. And then they compare these flowers to Solomon. Solomon was probably the greatest. He was the wisest man and the greatest king in the history of Israel. He was definitely the wealthiest king in the history of Israel and was probably the wealthiest man on earth in his day. Um, and he was man of the year when it came to clothing. You know, he was always dressed to the T because he could. And Jesus isn't knocking him for that. He's just saying, you know what? Solomon wasn't as beautiful as God's creation. You know, what would really be good if I had about 10,000 flowers up here of different kinds so we could just be reminded of God's beauty and creation. Verse 28, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown into the fire, so he's going to switch from flowers to grass. Grass is part of God's purpose. Grass, uh, God designed the grass. He had a plan for it. And um, all the, the grass had to do was sit in the sun and wait for the rain and take the nutrients in. And it didn't last long, and it, even then it was used for fuel. How much more will he clothe you? God cares about you. He created you. He designed you. He has a plan for you. How much more does he care for you? And then he says, you of little faith. You little people. Children. And it's okay to be a child of God. But you have a heavenly father who cares so much about you. Can you trust him? Oh, you of little faith. This is a theological issue. Will you worry? Or will you believe what Jesus said about his father? That is a theological issue. Now, I know that anxiety is complicated. And I know there are a lot of reasons for it. And I'm grateful that we have therapists, and I'm grateful that we have medication that helps with chemistry, and I'm all for therapists, and I'm all for uh, chemistry if it helps. It, that can't be the total answer. 
Ultimately, it's about what you think about God. If you're a skeptical person, like I am sometimes, you can think of, well, God doesn't always take care of the ravens, does he? God doesn't always take care of the grass of the field. God doesn't always take care of the flowers. Because stuff in the universe happens. Yes, there are exceptions. We have famines and things die. We have earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis and floods. And creation itself gets blasted. Where's God? The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8 about this very thing. He says in verse 19, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation is waiting for Jesus to come back. The creation is waiting for an ultimate restoration because the creation has been in chaos ever since sin entered the universe. Look at this. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Next slide. In hope that the creation itself will be liber liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's going to happen when Jesus comes. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up uh, to this present time. It's exactly what we experience when we see a hurricane or a tsunami or a famine. We are not in a perfect universe. And there has been chaos ever since sin disrupted God's order. Never surprised God at all. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And yes, there are times when flowers die and grass dies and animals can't live. And there are times when people die as well in the creation, because of the creation. Verses 29 through 30, God wants to meet our needs as we trust him. God wants to meet our needs as we trust him. George Mueller, a 19th century Christian leader who built an orphanage that cared for over 10,000 children in his lifetime, he wrote this over 150 years ago, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. I think Jesus would have been okay with that. Luke chapter 12, verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Jesus understands worry and why people worry. He also understands it's the wrong focus. He wants us to shift our focus from worry back to him. 
He's the one we can count on. He's the one we can go to. Verse 30, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. Jesus points out that, you know, it's logical if an unbeliever, he's talking about a pagan here, people who don't know the true and living God, who have other gods, he said, um, it just makes sense that they worry. It doesn't make sense since you have a heavenly father that cares about you so much. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul uh, gives us really good instructions here when it comes to the worry thing. Do not be anxious about anything. And sometimes, you know, Christians, you've heard this thing so many times, you just shut down when you hear it one more time. This is God's word. It's true. It's real. And it really does work because God really does answer prayer. Do not be anxious about anything. So when you have feelings of anxiety, it's just like the red flashing light on the dashboard of your car lets you know, warning, pay attention here, look out, check out your situation, what do you need to attend to? So when that red flashing light comes on with anxiety, in every situation, by prayer and petition, turn, take it to God, with petition, be specific. What is it actually? You want more than God bless the whole world and God bless my family. What is it that your family needs? And say it specifically. And you're taking it from you and you're putting it into his hands because he's the one who can carry it. Cast all your care on him because he cares for you. First Peter chapter 5. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, the attitude of God, you don't owe me anything. I am not entitled. Come to him with thanksgiving, a thankful heart for what he's done for you. Present your request to God. Do it. Bring him to God. And the peace of God. This isn't a theological idea. This is a real life experience, the peace of God. God wants you to experience something in here because what, what goes on in here or here, wherever you want to you talk about your heart or your head, doesn't make any difference to me. What we need when there's turmoil, when there's anxiety, we need things to slow down and to, and to experience a peace so that we can respond in a rational and a healthy way rather than being controlled by worry and leave God out. Bring it to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You know what? It's just not rational. It's a God thing, and he gets the credit, by the way, when you experience his peace. This peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It guards, protects. You know how the hormone neuropeptide Y, attacks the immune system. God's defending your spiritual system. God's on guard. He's, he's like a soldier doing the perimeter, and he's just checking all the time. And you can experience in the midst of turmoil his peace.
31. Verse 31, God promises to meet our needs when we make him the first priority in our lives. This is crucial. Tony Evans, in our Thursday night growth group that's called Kingdom Disciples, Tony Evans says this is the master key to discipleship. This is the master key. Verse 31, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. God's kingdom is about God's rule. God's kingdom is about God's rule on the earth. God's kingdom is about his rule on earth and in heaven. God's kingdom is about his rule in your life. Seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. What things? Those things you need. Those answers to prayer you need. Trust him. He cares. He wants to answer your prayers. He doesn't want to give you everything you want. But he knows what you need. And by the way, I've noticed this. Children don't always know what they need. They don't know as well as their parents. Sometimes we don't know as much as our Heavenly Father, do we? On what we need. Seek his kingdom. God wants to have first place in your life. He wants to be first. He wants the kingdom to be first. He wants his values, his leadership, his instructions, his goal, and his mission first in our lives. And this is the key. His kingdom first. He said it specifically in Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God doesn't want to be second, doesn't want to be third, doesn't want to be fourth. First, it's the only option. First. You want to worry? Go ahead. God wants to be first. God wants to be first. He still wants to be first. Now, let me just say, let me separate this for a second. If you're not a follower of Christ, this is not how you become a Christian, and this is not how you get to heaven, and this is not how you get your sins forgiven. Jesus died for you. He paid the penalty for your sin. It's all paid for, and he wants you to begin the relationship by trusting him that he did it all. You don't have to be good to get there. You don't have to be, do good works to be accepted by God. You just need to trust him for eternal salvation. Trust him for forgiveness because he paid for you. It's grace. It's a gift. After we become followers of Christ, then God wants that. We are his children and God has a plan for us and a mission for us. And when we walk in his ways, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. High-valued life. And it's where the most joy will ever be found. Jesus is Lord, and the issue is, will you permit him to be Lord of your life in all things, in every situation? God promises to meet your needs because he's your father and you are his child. 
Last point, third point, God wants to grow our hearts for kingdom generosity, verses 32 through 34. This is crucial, and this um, is a huge step in dealing with worry, by the way. Verse 32, trust God for all of his provisions. Trust God for all of his provisions. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, little kids. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. God loves you. He cares for you. He's got a plan for you. He's designed you. He's designed this life that he's offered, this kingdom life. And he, he sent his son, Jesus, for you. And Jesus paid the price for your sin. And God offers um, eternal life, and he offered the forgiveness of sin, and he gave you the Holy Spirit to enable you to live this life that he's asked you to do. And he uh, has given you the kingdom. He's given you the kingdom of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. It's called grace. You have access to the kingdom. You have standing with God forever. He's provided everything you need to live in this life right now. And he wants you to be a part of him bringing heaven to earth, the, the kingdom of God to this earth. And he's given us his word to guide us, to equip us, to uh, enable us to be spiritually nourished. He's given us access to God through the throne of prayer. Again, he's given us the Holy Spirit to enable us. Um, he's promised to take care of all the stuff we need, the food, the clothing, the shelter. He's promised. His kingdom first. He's given you the kingdom. It's grace. Can you trust God with the other part? Verse 33, put all God's priorities ahead of your money and possessions. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. What? Jesus said it. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Are you sure? Some of the early church did this very thing. We see it in Acts 2 and Acts 4. They sold homes and property and created resources for the church, and they brought them to the church and gave them to the church. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to do that. If you want to volunteer, it's okay with me. What did Jesus mean? Did he mean this literally? Um, if you look at the New Testament, Peter and the apostles, Peter had a home and a wife, and I don't think he sold it. And apparently other of the church leaders had homes, and they didn't all sell their homes. Barnabas had a piece of property. He doesn't say he sold his home. Um, later in Acts 4, Barnabas sold a piece of property and gave it uh, the resources to the church. Um, but Jesus had a way of saying things in his teaching to get people's attention. And I think that's partly what he's doing here. He said things like, if you struggle with lust... Go ahead and gouge out your eye. You, you struggle with this area of immorality? Go ahead and cut off your hand. What? And there was always a few people who did it. But is that what Jesus meant? He said, no, if, 
If you could uh, get to heaven by cutting off your hand and keep you from sinning, that's what you should do. But that's not how you get to heaven, and that's not how you please God. It's by cutting off your hand. The issue is your stuff and your resources. Who owns it? You or him? If he's Lord, Psalm 24 says he owns everything and everyone. And the idea we get that Jesus taught is that we're managers or stewards, and our job is to take care of, to take care well of what he's provided for us. But he wants it all. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want us to hold anything back from him. He cares about our hearts. Because when we get our hearts messed up, that's where we go to worry. Jesus wants us to give up control of our stuff. Jesus wants us to put everything we have into his hands. Our lives, our money, our possessions, our children, our jobs, everything. He wants to be Lord. He wants us to seek his kingdom first. No second place. So he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Notice what he says next. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. He's talked about laying up treasure in heaven. He already did in chapter 12. Um, Lay up treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroy. Jesus is going back to this idea of greed in earlier in Luke chapter 12 and the story of the rich fool who was not rich toward God. He was possessive. Jesus wants his followers to loosen their grip on this stuff. And Jesus wants his followers to be generous This is about laying up treasure in heaven. It's about investing real resources into the kingdom of God. That's generosity. And verse 34, let your heart for God be demonstrated with kingdom generosity. Because here's what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where you put your money shows what's important to you. It shows your values. It shows your heart. When you give to God, it shows your heart. When you're stingy with God, it shows your heart. When you're rich toward God, it shows your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. This is the verse we looked at last time. There's just one thing I want you to see. Each of you, that's for all of us, if you're a follower of Christ, should give... It's not your time or your talent, it's your money, what you have decided in your heart to give. So it's your choice, you get to make the call, not reluctantly or under compulsion, God doesn't want to guilt you into this, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants hearts that can joyfully give back to him, not begrudgingly, but hey, I want to do this, I'm, I'm in I support this. God is looking for people 
to trust him with everything. That's why he loves a cheerful giver. It's about the heart. Randy Alcorn wrote this in his blog, Eternal Perspectives. He said, do you wish you cared more about eternal things? Then reallocate some of your money, maybe most of your money, from temporal things to eternal things. Put your resources, your assets, your money and possessions, your time, your energy into the things of God. Watch what will happen. As surely as the compass, needles fo- the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads. Hearts follow. If you invest in a retirement or a stock market, you keep track of it. If you give to Team World Vision, you keep track of it. Where your money goes is where your heart goes. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't put money away in retirement, because I do. It's just about heart attitude, and it's about releasing what we have so God has access, and he, and, and he just wants us to learn, and it's going to be individually, and everybody's going to be different, and you're all in a process of walking with God, but he wants you to be rich toward him. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So my question is this. Will you worry or will you trust? Let's stand together and pray. Father, uh, as we consider the words of Jesus this morning, I confess they're challenging words. And uh, some of us will need to ponder that and process it. I do pray that there'll be discussions in our homes, husbands and wives together, just to talk about the use of their resources and their generosity toward you. Thank you, God, that you promised to meet our needs, that you promised to help us deal with worry that you promise uh, to provide our food and our clothing and where we're going to live. You know our emotional needs. You know our physical needs. You know our spiritual needs, God, and you will provide. And through that, you'll even give us peace as we walk with you. And God, I thank you. But Lord, may our hearts be open to you. May we be willing to offer ourselves, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to you. Maybe we, maybe, may we be willing to consider all of our resources, our paychecks, our savings, our possessions, and say, God, here, here they are. They're yours. I will seek to manage them. Help me to be wise. Teach me to be generous. For Jesus' sake, amen.